welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lim. Now, this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, with that said, let's slip into the stream. Well, welcome back to It's an Inside Job. I'm your host, Jason Lim. This week, we're going to dive into the idea and subject of mental training. But what is it exactly? Well, it's the practice aimed at developing and fortifying our psychological well-being. It is a crucial aspect of achieving resilience and maintaining overall well-being, whether in the context of sports or the workplace. You know, mental training involves a range of techniques and strategies that are specifically designed to help us with stress management, to set goals, visualization, to find motivation, to help us with emotional regulation and fostering a positive mindset. Now, the significance of mental training lies in its potential to empower individuals, each and every one of us, to thrive in high-pressure environments. It's to bounce back from setbacks. It's to strike a harmonious balance between personal and professional lives. And so this week on this episode, I am very privileged to welcome Hege Breke. She's the founder of Processio. You know, Hege is known for her dedication in the, the areas of well-being and peak performance. And she's been a source of inspiration and support for countless teams, leaders, and individuals. Now, she established Processio back in 2021, and it is a living testament to Hege's distinctive vision. Her approach is firmly grounded in values such as trust, curiosity, realism, and the courage to provide honest feedback when it's most needed. You know, Hega's role often entails guiding large groups and teams, mentoring individuals with a sharp focus on nurturing the desired behavioral shifts through introspection and self-awareness. At her core, she empowers individuals, emphasizing the importance of personal responsibility for growth. You know, what truly sets Hega apart is her remarkable ability to forge meaningful relationships, demonstrating genuine care and an exceptional talent for bringing people together. As a leader, she artfully balances clarity with compassion and is unafraid to challenge the status quo. Her relentless pursuit of progress and unwavering commitment to quality, coupled with her objective discernment, well, they instill profound trust in others through both her words and actions. I found recording this episode with Hege to be very insightful. You know, in this episode, Hege shares her her expertise on mental training, workplace well-being, and the cultivation of high-performance cultures. And the practices we explore in this episode can be both applied to both the sports sphere as well as the professional sphere. So without further ado, let's slip into the stream and meet Hege Breke. Well, I'd like to welcome everyone back to the show. It's an inside job. Today, I have a special guest, Hege Breke. Hege, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Hege, I thought we could begin the conversations like I do with all conversations by maybe you briefly introducing who you are and what you do. Okay, uh, my name is uh, Hege Brecke, and um, 
I have been uh, working in uh, larger companies uh, as Accenture and Deloitte with uh, recruitment, but also leadership training, development uh, of necessarily competent competence uh, mm. to to perform a leadership uh, role. So uh, I have also been working as a mental trainer for uh, handball and football for some years. Yeah, I think that's an interesting crossover between sports, business, and mental well-being and sort of mental training. Maybe we could begin the part of the conversation, you sort of defining what that means. Like, I mean, how this mental training itself, what does that encompass? What does that include? Oh, that's a really good question because like it says in the word, it's training. But for me, it's more baby steering, you know. uh, um, Yeah, you're conscious. You're you're, you're cognizant and conscious of what you're doing. Yes. Self-awareness. Yes, and my interest was that in sports, they don't have so much money to develop uh, trainers in uh, mental skills. So it started with coaching trainers in the leadership role. But afterwards, I was working with the teams for some uh, time. I also find an interest in the how can you train your mind or how can you prepare yourself before a performance to be the best version of yourself. So I have I have also been working with the players and also the group. How can we be, be good together? So for me, mental training is to get to know yourself and find out what is my strength? What do I need to uh, use? Because that's my strength. But also... What are my uh, autopilot? You know what? Uh, Your autopilot, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. autopilot. Yeah. What do I do that I don't really want to do? I want to change that behavior. So mm-hmm. uh, some of the things I have been doing is uh, working with uh, individuals on those things, but also what I find really interesting is working with the team. How can we be a performance, high performance team together? Yeah. When you're doing the mental training, then it's focusing on the individual sports person, sportsman, uh, sportswoman also, and yeah. then also working with the team. So the old Greek maxim of know thyself or know yeah. yourself, yeah. I mean, how does understanding one's nature and beliefs and values contribute to building this sort of mental fortitude, this mental resilience when performing, when competing? Well, I think that's a really good question because I think it starts with knowing yourself. I think when, uh, if we want to be the best version of ourselves, you have to know who am I? What is my nature? What is my personality? And I'm not only talking about taking a test and and get the answers there, but really if, if somebody uh, tells you you are like this so you are like that, really go inside and figure out, do I believe I'm like that? Or why do people see me like this? You know, to know yourself, know your nature. I think mental training starts with that. Because um, my experience is that some players or also coaches, they have been thinking about these questions and they they are uh, safe. Who am I? But others, they are more insecures and they haven't been thinking about it so if you're going to develop something i think you need to know where the point a is 
who am I, where am I? And also, if you want to develop, what do I want to develop? What do I want to do more? That is one of my uh, approaches to mental training. I think that's very important because, you know, all of us, our brains are our narrative machines. They're, they're yes. constantly trying to understand the world and our our the context of how we relate to the world and other people around us by creating a story. Yeah. And so a lot of stories begin with I am or this is or they are. So it's yeah. always the to be form. And mm -hmm. the to be form is like you could say, for example, I am nervous, right? Yeah. Or yeah. I am excited. I mean, there are two labels, but the narrative we tell ourselves, from my experience, triggers an emotion, and that emotion triggers a certain behavior. So if I feel incompetent or not skilled enough, then that will tank my emotion of self-confidence, and thus I will may not engage as much with the performance or with the world. But if I feel that I'm confident, not overconfident, that I have the ability to deal with this situation that I, I have a certain level of performance and that becomes my narrative my labels I place on myself then my emotions will that will bolster me right I will feel emboldened I will feel the courage even though I have the fear I feel encouraged to move into the storm and my behavior will be one of to engage and to enable myself to move into that so I think it's, I see a lot of what you do and what I do. There's a lot of transition, even though we come from two different disciplines. I think there's a underlying mechanism, a common denominator, in what we do, where it goes from head to heart to hand. Yeah. yeah. And also one thing that I see mm. both in business and in sports is that mm. I feel, I, I experience that we all are looking for these boxes that we are want to put ourselves or others in. So after I have been working, who are you? What is natural for you? What are your beliefs? What are your life uh, philosophy uh, uh, or values? Life philosophies and yeah, values. Yeah, yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, then I start to reflect are you are you like this? Do you always believe that? Or are you that always? Or are there situations or contexts that this flourish or this wanes, you know, it disappears? Mm -hmm. uh, and that may confuse somebody, but I really think that is important because in mental training, you need to know what do I need from the situations mm -hmm. to be on my best or what kind of trigger will come inside of me if I'm in this situation. So it's important to know who you are. But I believe that we are not one thing. I can be both patient and unpatient. It depends on the situation. So that is like step two for me. Yeah, step two is understanding your limits, your boundaries, and working within those limits and boundaries, or trying to find ways to adapt when those triggers or those edges you you meet the edges of who you are and try to develop a sense of resilience or robustness to move through that and as yeah. you said it's very situational is that what i understand yes i believe so i had mm. one person who um, had the anger issue so what we did is what that before a game we could mm. uh, sit down and have a, have a talk if you feel that anger how do you really want to react? What is the, um, when this emotion is 
coming? How do you want to deal with it? And by talking about this in front, mm. uh, this player told me, one, you have to watch this game and uh, write down if I managed to do that or not. So by doing things like this, I could see the person really made a difference. You know, he really mm. developed another response. Yes. Mm. Uh, sometimes he could fall back, but, you know, we need to master new behavior. To uh, We have to know how we want to behave in this situation and then have somebody to help us master them. So that's one thing. That so the idea, just to explore that a little. So the idea in that case is this particular person, he had uh, had anger and it didn't play out in the best way. Yeah. And so what you asked him or her was to kind of project, how do you want this anger to play out? How would you like to see it more productive? So yeah. it's helping you and not hindering you. Yeah. And then he says, or she says, they picture something in their mind. And so once they picture in their mind, you kind of reverse that back to the emotion of anger, but yeah. maybe back to the thoughts, which is the coding of the emotions is like, okay, how do you want this to play out as you've, as you've described it to me? And so there are certain thoughts that he or she thinks in order to have that productive outcome that they wish to have? Well, I try to tell them that uh, it's a difference between an emotion and being that emotion. Mm. Try to uh, make yourself a little space to recognize that emotion, but choose how you want to react to that emotion. If I feel anger, I don't have to be angry. And yeah, I, so you can notice the anger and you yeah. don't have to identify with the anger. Yes. I think it's uh I think it's important to identify, mm. you know, the real feeling. I I don't want my players or my leaders who I have been working with to not acknowledge that that's the feeling because that for me is a toxic positivity. You know, mm. we, you, you have to identify it, but I want you in a calm state. Think about how do you want to react? If you could choose, how do you want to react? And by naming this uh, response, when they are in the situation, you know, the brain, it's more easy to, okay, now I know how I want to react on that. Can I ask you, Hager, because I, th I think that's a very interesting point that you've made. So what I hear is that when they're in the in the situation, when they're in the heat of battle or the heat of performance, yeah. that they become cognizant or they become conscious of what they're doing to shift. Yeah. But I, I can understand, you know, sitting in a, a meeting room or in the locker room when you're helping them to deal with that performance issue, but in the heat of the moment, sometimes a lot of us get lost in the moments. We get so uh, focused on what's going on externally that we lose focus internally, like sort of the internal drivers. My question to you is, how do you help them to be more present in the moment, in the heat of competition, in the heat of performance? Oh, it's a lot of things I could have been talking about here, but... Hmm. For me, I try to, this is also um, important for leaders. It's not mm. only for sports people, but I, I try to tell people that, you know, our focus, it, our brain, our thoughts, it's one, it wanders. It wanders forward 
uh, what am I going to do in the next meeting or <clears throat> what am I going to uh, uh, do tomorrow this important uh, meeting with my new client or it goes backwards you know what just happened in that meeting I felt that somebody got angry at me or somebody was telling me something that I didn't like so mm-hmm. I tried to I tried to uh, talk about how much are you pr- able to be present because it's normal to that your thoughts are wandering but how can you refocus do you have any uh, tools that make you refocus and uh, be present because mm-hmm. we know that if we are not present it's really hard to master it's really hard to uh, do a good performance uh, because you know when you talk to somebody you can see if they are really there or if they are on the phone or are thinking about something else so if you really want to connect or if you really want to be on your best you have to be present so th- there's a lot of things that we train about that but it starts with them being aware in handball for example it and also in football uh, you have a defense play and you have a player that uh, the goal is to move forward Hmm. so when you're in defense you have to be present in defense you cannot think about the next time you're going Hmm. to try to put a goal Hmm. so that's one of the things that uh, I think it's important that you're starting to notice on yourself when am I focused and when do my mind start to wander and maybe you know it, but there are science that tells us that our brain is wandering 47% of the time. And when our thoughts are wandering, we also feel less happy. So um, that's another things that uh, another thing that's also important to. I think that's very important because what you what you refer to this forty percent where the mind's wandering, it's something called the default mode network. Yes. And so when we're not focused on something external, on a task, on a job, on performance, then our mind starts to wander. And it's okay to wander sometimes, but when you find yourself in a stressful situation that's provoking some level of anxiety, there's some sort of tension, uh, animosity, on, on some level of uncertainty, then that mind wandering becomes, as you said, it, it flies to the future and plays out all the worst scenarios or it, it jumps into the time machine and goes in the back and think, mm-hmm. oh my God, I did so bad this time and this is a predictor of how I'm going to play in the future. Yeah. Now, I agree. And so it's the ability to move the, move into the present. One of the fine things I find is that certain sports, I, I like uh, like boulder and climbing. And when I'm sitting on, off the edge of a wall, I don't have time. To- time to think and that's one thing yeah. i think in certain sports right the intensity of sports you don't have time to think like if you're playing racquetball or squash or or tennis or, or climbing or well, what have you the, the sport is moving so fast that you have to stay present you're just kind of there but like when i'm playing golf oh yeah. my god i have um, all the time in the world to yeah. self-criticize myself and have self-doubt <laughs> well i think golf it's a really good practice on mental training because oh, yeah. you are doing uh, 18 holes i play also play golf and i know that some um holes will be okay and some are terrible so how do i refocus and not take 
the frustration or anger from mm. the last uh, in in the new hole that I want to play well. But I also talk about both in uh, in business and in sports about the difference between learning and performance. Because sometimes we need to be in a learning modus to master new things. And sometimes we are playing a match, maybe a really important match. And that's not when we are going to test out new things. Mm. So when you are talking about that, I don't have the time to think. I need to use my autopilot. I think... That's what sports are doing so well. They practice, 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 and then they play their game. So in the practice, they are supposed to be in a learning mode, you know, mm. and maybe they make more fault. Uh, Mistakes or they fumble the ball yeah, or whatever. They do yeah. the best they can. Uh, they try to improve. They are not mastering yet, mm. but uh, mistakes are expected. But when you're playing that game, you want to use your autopilot. You want to perform. You want mm -hmm. to master. You want to make as little mistakes as possible. So I also think it's important for leaders to think, when can I practice? Is every day a performance modus for me? Or the people I lead, when can they learn and grow? So uh, I think it's important to think about that. I think that's a very salient point you've made because when leaders hire someone like yourself as an external coach to spar with them, that creates the perfect opportunity to learn, right? They, they can talk about some situation that happened that week and they can walk through it and you can help them take it apart through the, the quality of your questions. And that allows them to self-reflect, have self-awareness. Yeah. Or if they have something coming up the next week, you can you can as you said you can you can create the performance in the theater of their mind. How do you see this playing out? How would you like to see it playing out? What would you do? And again, it sounds like that ability from performance, giving the presentation in front of the C-suite people, and practicing that, and the practicing can become when they're they're meeting with you as an external uh as an external coach because you're not part of that particular company culture yeah. right you're not tainted in that sort of sometimes you you a lot of people can think in similar ways when they're part of the same culture it's just the way we are as human yeah. beings that's how we that's how we're wired but when they bring someone such as you a professional from external to talk through things what happens, it's a completely different perspective because you're not a, a friend per se, even though you are in friendly terms. You're not family. You're not a colleague. So you have a completely different dimension. There is a completely different pattern of interaction. Yeah. That in itself, that novel interaction also creates novel and new types of thinking about how they can move forward. So yeah. I really like that between practice yeah. and performance. Yeah, and I, I ask a lot of questions. And I also tell my clients that uh, that's my job, to ask mm -hmm. questions. Maybe questions that you have stopped asking because it's how we do it here. Mm -hmm. So I, I I tell them that, uh, well, I ask them if that is okay. And most of my clients say, of course, uh, ask those questions. We need to reflect. But if I work with uh, individuals or team or culture, I always start with trying to find out where are we now where are we now 
When I work with teams and organizations, it's very usual that we have a different view on where we are now. When I get a mission, it's often you have to help us to move forward. But I tell my clients, okay, we can we can make some agreements on what mm-hmm. we are going to, uh, what kind of effort we are going to make. But we have to start with acknowledging that we need to have a common mindset of where we are. And when we see the same, we see we are here, then we can talk about we want to go there. It's important for me to ask those questions, to to make them reflect, because I'm not an external who comes with all the answers. I I, am not an expert that knows everything and they don't know anything. It's they know a lot of things. I just want to facilitate and uh, make them start to talk, make them start to uh, listen to each other uh, and find out what are we what are we wanting wanting to do here? Well, what I can see, Hega, you're almost as a, a catalyst. You come in, they are the experts of their own domains, of their own disciplines. But sometimes when we are experts, we we just see everything as one clump. We don't see the individual skills or the individual logical bits that have to fall into place. And we just assume we know that. Yeah. But when someone such as yourself comes in, you can ask some very simple questions, but it can create a profound uh, reflection in someone. It's like, you know what? I didn't see that. They didn't see the crack between the, you know, in the sidewalk. Yeah. And then in that crack, that opens up a whole world of exploration, which they can learn and develop. And so it's just that you asking them questions, because what I find a lot of the times is that I'll ask a, what I think is a very straightforward, basic question. And they think it's maybe an oversimplification of a question, but in the exploration of that, when they're explaining their thoughts and emotions, yes, they're explaining it to me, but a lot of the times they're explaining it to themselves out loud in their own words. And that in itself, you start seeing the light bulbs kind of ting, 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 ting going off yes. in their head, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's follow, yeah. let's go down this trail that we didn't see, right? And all of a sudden there may be a potential solution there to their conundrum. Yeah, I love that, Jason. I really love that because that's my experience as well. They know a lot of things, but they need to have time to reflect. They need to have time to think. Many of my clients, they say that uh, we don't have time, time enough to reflect. So one of the things that I need to do is uh, make them make time. <laughs> you know, it, for me, it's almost akin to someone trying to get from point A to point B, from one city to another city, and they're speeding along because they got to get to a meeting, but yeah. they don't have time to look at the signage, right? To make sure they're going the right direction. They're just speeding along. They see the yeah. tarmac, they see the asphalt, just keep following the road, right? Yeah. But unless you look at the signage, how do you know you're going in the right direction? You may feel yeah. you're going in the right direction, but maybe those feelings, you're basing your decisions based on false data or misinterpretation of that data, right? So I think it's so important to find that time to reflect, just to look up to make sure you're heading in the right direction on the horizon. Yeah, and also if it's a team or an organization, you need to maybe your brain and your knowledge have understand that, okay, we have to do this, but you have to have the people with you. So you have to also, you have to be aware that other people maybe need more time than you. Mm. And how can you then 
you as a leader uh, facilitate or make time for dialogue so you can unite about where are we and where do you where do we really want to go if i can just shift the conversation because yeah. what i see a lot of times especially younger people coming up in the game they're very skilled very knowledgeable and they're hungry to make a difference to contribute to add value but a lot of the times they're so focused on the performance that mm. sometimes they have an imposter syndrome. Logically, they know they've been placed in that position because of their skill, knowledge, and who they are. But emotionally, they feel that someone's made a mistake. And this imposter syndrome, as I said, and they get so wrapped up in perfection that mm. they, 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 they'll check things three, four times when they know logically they've done it right the first or the second time. Mm. How do you, how do you help someone to show a little more self-compassion to themselves and how important is self-compassion in this process of between learning and performance? Well, I think if you want to be really good in something, if you really want to master something, you have to meet yourself with compassion because you're going to fail a lot. So if you are a person that only want to be good, but you don't want to fail, I think it's really good to grow as fast that you need to grow to be really good at something. In my world, I maybe I use the terms a little different than you, but I um, make a difference between performance and result. And in football, for example, you can tell that if we win with the 3-0, th that's a result. But how we played, that is the performance. So in business, results are the numbers that you are uh, trying to use. But performance, it's more like how do we do things here? What do we how do you say it? Belinda? How we collaborate, how yeah. we cooperate, yes. how we communicate. So I try to ask the leaders, okay, you want to reach those results, but how are you going to do it? And many of them think that's a really difficult questions. Of course it is, because then you're starting to talk about what do we want to see more of here? And that is um, for some Maybe they don't want to make it so clear because there are many ways to go to Rome, for example. But but I tell my leaders that if you don't know what you want, how can you make the culture so you, you get more of what you want? For young people who want to perform or make a good result, I think that the people who are really good in something they are resilient because they know they have to fail and they have to get up after they have made a, a failure. And you can't just do that without being nice to yourself or tell yourself that, okay, I tried. Maybe that was a difficult task for me, but I dared to try. And in the same in sports, you know, my experience is that when coaches are really angry at players. It's not what they do and fail. It's not what they don't dare to do. The chances so they, they, they didn't take. Yeah, well, they make them go hmm. beyond their comfort zone. They want them to do maybe some new things or try something, but they want to do what's safe. So for me, failure is both doing something wrong that you 
shouldn't have done, but also do something you should, but you don't dare to do. Yeah, failure. She is a good teacher, right? I mean, it's it's when you talk about from textbook knowledge to experience knowledge, experience knowledge will always tell you the truth. And it, the question is, if you're willing to lean into it and to understand that truth, because there's there's only two roads, right? You you either ignore it or you bring it on and and somehow build yourself so you're more resilient, so you can push through you know, that those limits sometimes, I, I think that's very important. You know, as, as I've spoken on this podcast before, my father used to tell me, Jason, when you move into any situation, hmm. you either succeed or you learn. Succeed, yeah. great. Spend time, reflect and learn from it and, and, and celebrate. When you fail, learn from it. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel defeated. Those are normal emotions and, and you should learn from them, but don't, don't drown in those emotions. Don't use it as a, an excuse not to push yourself, to push yeah. your limits, right? Constantly grow, constantly strain. And so that's it. Succeed or learn. And I've taken that a philosophy with me all these years I've been on this planet. Yeah. And it's a good le- it's a good one because what I also say is that when you feel, when you master failure, uh, different feelings are arriving. But what are those feelings telling you about your own needs? So if you are failing and you feel ashamed or uh, embarrassed, okay, what is that feeling telling you about your own needs? Why is it important for you to be good? Why is it important for you to master so we're coming back to know yourself, you know, uh, because when when we start to find out, oh, I'm a person that really likes to be good and I don't like to do things wrong. Uh, and you can smile at that. You can laugh at that. That's a relief. In part one, Hega talked about mental training as doing a deep dive into understanding yourself better. It's about asking yourself some pretty specific questions like, what am I good at? What do I tend to do automatically? Who am I, really? What do I need to perform at my absolute best? What gets under my skin and sets me off? Basically, it's about getting to know yourself inside out. Part of this mental training involves role-playing scenarios. It's, it's asking yourself, how would I handle this situation if it came up? What about this one? What about that one? This helps us to learn new ways of responding to things, to events. In mental training, we also dig into our emotions. We learn that there's a difference between having emotion and letting that emotion take over. For example, just because you feel angry, it doesn't mean you have to become the Hulk, to become angry. You can notice the anger without letting it completely define you. Now, here's the tricky part. How do you stay focused in all this self-discovery when you're in the middle of performing? Well, it's about understanding the difference between learning and performing. Learning is all about trying new stuff and getting better. It's about improving our game. But when it's showtime, you're not experimenting anymore. You're putting into action what you've practiced. There's no time to try this or try that. You execute on habits. And let's not forget about the difference between performance and results. Performance is about how you play the game, while results are the actual scores on the board. 
When it comes to coaching and mental training, it's not just about what you're doing right. It's also about what you might be holding back on. It's about asking yourself why you're so driven to be great at what you do. In a nutshell, mental training is like a personal journey when you get to know yourself better, learning how to manage your emotions and to figure out how to perform at your best. It's about understanding what makes you tick and how to handle different situations, all the while keeping an eye on the bigger picture of success. And so now let's slip back into the stream of part two of my conversation with Hege Brekke. I was wondering, could you speak as a mental trainer to the aspect of a visualization and how important that is and why that's important? Well, for me, uh, visualization, it helps you to um, prepare yourself for a task. In sports, it's a, it's a technique. You're going to play a game and uh, you can imagine that you play the game. You can imagine that you fail. But then you come back. As a goalkeeper, for example, you can uh, see yourself doing a wrong thing and you're coming back because many goalkeepers have told me that if they if they um, uh, let in a goal too early, uh, the whole match is ruined. And I asked why. There's a lot of time left. So when they can use this technique for priming their brain and their body to uh, uh, for an action and to deal with feelings and different situations they master that better when they're in that situation so i don't know um if i uh, answered your question but also players mm-hmm. i can i can prep them and t- tell them that this technique it will help you to help your brain to recognize how things will go play out when you're on that. Definitely. Uh, that's well said. Yeah. That's well said. Because yeah. visualization, just to kind of speak to it, it's not just about what you see. It could be, you know, if you're at a starting line about to start a run around in track and field, it may be the tactile, the feeling of the track under your fingertips or your, yes. your feet in the starting blocks yes. or, and your breathing. So visualization is a, it's almost like it, it's, it's, it's all encompassing. It, it, it involves all of the senses and the more vivid you can paint the picture with the different senses, the more your brain actually thinks it's happening. Because one thing about the brain, as complicated and as amazing as yes. it is, if the conscious mind's off, it can't tell reality from fantasy. You know, sometimes when we're sleeping, you know, you're sleeping there in bed, all of a sudden you you, you kind of yes. you, you kind of have this reflex as you think you're falling down. That, that's a, that's a, a prime example. But back yeah. to what you're saying, the visualization, the brain, you're creating a sense of certainty, I guess, some sort yes. of cognitive map that, okay, so in the 10, first 10 minutes, if they score, what does that mean? You still have whatever, 80 minutes left in the soccer match or the football match. And especially if there's something they fear, I want them to put themselves in that situation and give them the tools to handle that fear. But it's it's really important, the things that you say now, Jason, because that's what I also do. I, I tell them, what do you smell in this situation? What do you feel? What do you see? I, I want them to connect to their senses because then it's easier for them in this situation to feel relaxed. I have been here before. I have dealt with that before. When I work as a main mental trainer, you can do so much 
but I have to be honest, I have never been working with two people that I have done exactly the same because one size does not fit all. So visualization <laughs> yeah. is is for somebody. Somebody is like they they can I can I can show them a framework and I I ask them what do you want what are you cu- curious about what do you want to work with and some of them choose uh, visualization you know yeah. and, and then we start to work with that but the people who work with that they feel that they get more confident in different uh, situations so mm-hmm. by training you know that's what mental training by training that you are in that situation it helps you cope with the stress with the press and you feel that okay this was outside my comfort zone before mm-hmm. but now i really feel that this is something that i can i can recognize it in my comfort zone and then you have made a development it's, it's exactly what you said you know like you said what do you smell what do you feel what do you yeah. taste whatever you know you engage all those senses because the same neural mechanisms the same neuro, neural architecture whether you're actually physically doing the the act of bouncing a basketball or imagining bouncing the basketball it yeah. fires off the same networks even though your muscles are not going off it fires off the same patterns in your head and that's why visualization to the detail that you speak to the both in the boardroom and both the on the playing field, mm. why it is so effective. Because you're just yeah. firing that pattern over and over and over, creating that sense of what? Certainty yeah. and confidence. Yeah. And I also have uh, good players who have uh, some issues with uh, self-esteem. You may not think that, but uh, many of the things that they get credit for is being good at something. Mm-hmm. So uh, they think that if I'm, they don't think it, but I discover when I talk to them that uh, they are on the top of the hill when they make a good performance. But when the performance is not so good, they started to have negative uh, thoughts about themselves or they have negative emotions. So then we can... For example, start with uh, positive self-talk or affirmations uh, in that period. If they are, um, uh, mm-hmm. they feel that now everything is working against me, and I also can see what that does to uh, somebody. That they start every day by telling themselves some f- frames that is important for them, and often those affirmation affirmations. It's more like, how do I want to deal with this? You know, they're putting, they they are giving power to themselves. How do I want to deal with uh, this situation? I can cope with stress. I can cope with that. I can, I can cope with being injured. I can cope with, you know, for example. I I think what's very important, what you said about self-esteem, you know, when we identify our value uh, and our worth based on our performance, you know, we can have off days and, if I'm basing my self-worth on my particular behavior, yeah. I mean, that makes me very fragile, yes. right? I, I think we need to separate, and I, I it sounds like you're saying this, is to separate my identity, my self-worth, my self-esteem from the performance. Yes. Yes, what I do affects the performance, but there are sometimes variables out there that you will never take account of nor be aware of that can yeah. affect that performance. Well, I think that's true. Self-esteem and self-acceptance, they are uh, often confused. Uh, 
to be identical, but they are not. When people are trying to figure out what their identity is, what their self-worth is, I mm-hmm. think it's based on the effort. I, I th- It comes back to something you said. You, you said something about the difference between the performance and the score, the results, right? Yeah. The results could be we won the game five zero. to zero, right? We yeah. slaughtered them. Yeah. But how the how the culture is, you know, mm-hmm. if it was done with collaboration, cooperation, mm-hmm. that we don't have to identify ourselves with the outcome, but we can identify ourselves with the effort because effort is something that we can always look at, right? The performance in itself, I guess maybe I'm mixing terms here, but the performance itself is, for me, is about effort. Yes. I think it's the results or the outcome of those results maybe is where we do not want to link our self-esteem or self-worth. Yeah. And I also like to explain it like this, that performance is something that you can do something about. Mm. But the result may also have elements that you can't control. Uh, in business, it can be another company who discover a new uh, techno- technolog- oh, technological. Technological. <laughs> yes, sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, and 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 uh, you can do a really good performance, but uh, well, uh, or in sports, they can mm. have uh, they um, yeah. This is, in skiing, for example, mm. you know that. Some like it a rainy weather, some like when the snow is hard. So there are elements that you can't control. But what you can control is the performance that day. So you more you focus on what you can do something about. Uh, I think you train your mind to uh, be the best, best version of yourself. And I don't mean that we are supposed to be the best version of us ourselves all the time, every day, 24 hours. That's not what I'm saying. But in sports and also in business, you need to know how to prep yourself before a meeting or before a game. And it's uh, also really important to, to slow down and uh, not being the best version, but, you know, uh, yeah, the restitution. Yes, restitution. Sort of recovering it's, and such. Right? Yes. So, but it's a balance, you know. Mm. But if we are talking about performance, mm. we know that you can prep individuals or team to be in a kind of mode that they will likely perform better than in another mode. That's for me is um, important. That that speaks volumes to something that I, I talk about, sort of two different types of mindsets of maximizing and sufficing. Yeah. Maximizing sometimes is like where you have to show up and deliver 100%. But if you're doing that all the time, if you're driven by that perfectionism or that imposter syndrome or whatever it is that's driving yeah. you to constantly deliver 100%, that is not sustainable. At some point, cracks will show up and you know, you will just falter. I think sometimes we need to understand that the demands of life, the demands of the job or demands of the sport sometimes means we need to suffice. And suffice means it's just good enough because there's so much coming at us that, you know, you can't have everything. You you have to make the tough call of trade-offs. Everything on your plate is important. But some things are going to be more important than others. Mm. And I think if you are not able to shift from maximizing to just sufficing, 
it's yeah. good enough. Yeah. Then I, I honestly, I've seen it time and time again over my long career that people burn out, hit the wall and collapse yeah. as intelligent, as educated, as knowledgeable yeah. as they are. They don't use these terms that you've yeah. talked about of self-awareness and self-compassion yeah. and the difference between results and performance. Hmm. I think they're setting themselves up to, to crumble at some point. Yeah. And I think in the future, I think that will be a... Uh, uh, very important for businesses to uh, survive, I really mm. think, because uh, the new generations that's coming mm. now, uh, they are much more aware of those things than my generation. Mm. And that's why when my clients ask me to do something about, you know, uh, performance management and development, mm. I'm really clear about I love working with performance management or development, but it has to be sustainable. It has to be that. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so, again, it comes back down to culture. This is something yes. you mentioned before, right? Yes. And we also know that when we have this element of well-being in a football team or handball team or in a business, we perform better as well. So it's, it's a really important thing that... What we do is something that we can do over time. It's not It's not something that will get people sick or people will start to leave because it's too hard to be here. You know, something I really liked you said is that sometimes you see the coaches kind of shouting at the players, right? But it's coming from a good place. It's telling them you can push beyond that. What can you do? Because at the same time, you see really good coaches. They create psychological safety on a team where they the team feels they can value, they contribute, and they feel secure in their position and such. But at the same time, there's not too much psychological safety where you're bubble wrapping people. It's like, oh, everyone's a winner. No, that's not it. Sometimes no. you have to come hard down on a player or yeah. on an employee or on yourself to push yourself. But it's coming from good intentions, not nefarious intentions, right? You're trying to build a person. And I think sometimes cultures have gone, some cultures, business cultures or team cultures have gone too far where psychological safety is just that. It's like, let's put a Band-Aid on everything. Let's bubble wrap everything. So, you know, everyone feels safe and secure all the time. If that does, that's not resilience. That's not resilience at all. That's just setting up someone for fragility. It's not right. equanimity, feeling comfortable in discomfort. And it's not well-being. Because I think you said it was toxic positivity. I think you said almost. Yeah. Well, I really agree. And I... Um... I believe that some uh, organizations mm. have misunderstood psych uh, psychology safety because yeah. it's, when I talk to them, it sounds to me that that is the mission. That's the goal. But if that is the goal, people will not dare to speak honestly. So I believe that the goal has to be performance. Mm. And safety is what you need to do to create that performance. Mm -hmm. Psychology safety is really important. I've been working a lot with that. But for me, it's a team effort. It's nothing an individual can feel. Because for mm -hmm. me, it's we, we are different as uh, individuals. And my uh, resilience are different than yours. So when a coach comes in in a dressing room and tells something, Somebody can say yes inside and somebody, oh, my God, 
uh, and feel maybe hurt as well. Yeah, and also yeah. in the in the meeting in business, you know, something can be said and somebody is like, oh my God, I got hurt. And somebody, yes, finally, we're moving forward. And that depends on you, on your bandages, on your mm. uh, mental model, on your life, on what how you see the world. So for me, we also have to take a responsibility as individuals uh, if the team are going to be the best version of themselves. What yeah, is I, my... Yeah. No, no. I think that's, that's such a salient point because, you know, psychological safety, is, it's, I, I always feel there's sort of two forces that are playing into that, right? Yeah. You have independence where as an individual, I want to perform, I want to use my skills, I want to contribute. But there's also interdependence. And, and, and again, in the sense of sports, you know, we're trying to win a game, trying to win a match. And so through the interdependence, through passing the balls, through communication, through uh, cooperating, collaborating on the pitch, on the field, on the baseball diamonds, we can do that. So, and, and I think it's a balance between these two forces of independence and interdependence. Yes. And again, it's 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 creating that uh, cohesion, that that glue that puts them together. But at the yes. same time, not having so much psychological safety, you know, where everything has to be inclusion and diversity. Yes, you can have diversity of opinion and you can have inclusion. Yes. But you know what? Some ideas are going to sink. Some strategies are not going to float and we have to be good with that right and so yeah. in a sense i think if we can balance this because it's a lot of it's about inclusion and diversity and i completely agree but if we let the pendulum swing too far on the other end then you get you get you almost get what you don't want yes exactly and what i am trying to teach my clients is that mm. We need a culture that when tough feedback is coming, mm. the intention is good. You know, my intention is not to hurt you. It's not to break you. It's not to make fun of you. My intention is that I want us to be better. Mm. So if you, if you really understand that and you really believe that, I think you can have really tough feedbacks. And if... Mm. Our relationship is not that good. If we haven't connected, if I'm not sure on your intentions, your what you're telling me may be well meant, but I don't receive it because my insecurity, my bandages will think that you're saying something else. That's It's a really, really important key to understand how to be safe and also be uh, give a, a, a feedback culture. That's why I think coaches of whatever sports is so important because, you know, he or she will show their transparency. They may be hard, they may be strict, but they are transparent. They've built trust amongst their team, right? Yeah. And through that transparency, people understand what to expect. They understand the intentions of the coach, even though the, the coach is screaming across to me across the pitch because I did something or I was, I, I played too individually in that that particular strategy but i know he or she's coming from a good place yes. but i think it takes time to build that trust yes. right it takes time to build that transparency and it mm -hmm. just doesn't happen now i think that's that's an I, I think everybody understands this but emotionally sometimes we just wish it would just be a snap of the fingers right oh they understand what i'm saying no they yeah. don't you have to no. take time yeah that's why i think 
communication is really an important skill, <laughs> you know, uh, and also not to communicate, but also if you're a leader, uh, have some questions that uh, mm-hmm. that you check out. Did they understand what my intention were? Or mm-hmm. did they only see, uh, did they hear anything else that I should be aware of? So yeah. uh, really important. Yeah, communication is everything. And it's yeah. a two-way road. It's saying something, but it's also listening and truly reflecting on what a person said. And then, as you said, using the questions to explore if I may just shift the conversation yeah. for a sec. In our pre-meeting, you talked about um, the knowing-doing gap. I was wondering, how can individuals bridge this gap and turn their knowledge and competencies into actions effectively? I think we've addressed this to some extent, but is there mm-hmm. other elements we haven't discussed yet? Oh, I um, I love the knowing-doing gap. <laughs> Maybe you can explain it first. What is the knowing doing gap from your perspective? Yeah, from my perspective, the knowing doing gap is uh, sometimes, well, I can take uh, an example, me as I'm a mother, two boys. I know that I shouldn't yell at my boys, <laughs> but I have to be honest to tell you that I have done that, even though I know I shouldn't. They are grown now and they're doing well, <laughs> but uh, you know, we all do things that we are not proud of. So the knowing doing gap is to know something, but do we manage to do it? But you can't manage to do something you don't know anything about. That's why self-awareness is so important in my work, uh, both in mental training, but also with leaders and uh, team development, and also culture. We need to be self-aware of ourselves and how we affect other people. So this also self-awareness can be so much. It can be uh, relations I have with myself, relation I have with others, because I think the relation I have with myself really affect the relations I have with others. So if I'm kind to myself, if I do failure and I smile at it, if I really manage to smile, mm. uh, I'm self-compassionate, uh, you know? Mm. And then I think it's easier to be self-compassion uh, to others as well. But if I have this, what do you call this critical... Uh, uh, Self-criticism? Yes, and uh, self-talk and, mm. oh, you're so stupid. If I do that to myself, mostly mm. I would be more like that to others as well. So self-awareness of my, who I am, uh, what do I believe? How, how do I want to be? Um, what do I want to be to others? What are my relationship to myself? What is my relationship to others? All that things, that is for me knowing. And doing its self-regulation and competences. What do I actually do? So when you talk about self-regulation, can you more operationally define it from your perspective? Self-regulation. It's uh, when my emotions uh, really flourish. We have been talking about this before, but I really think that we are emotional human beings beings Mm. that also thinks. Many think that we are thinking people that also feels. <laughs> but I think the feelings are so strong in us. If I really feel that you don't wish me well, uh, my brain 
are telling me things that is not true. I think that our thoughts are many times negative and repetitive. So for me, this regulation is to really connect with my feelings and to know myself through my feelings. And I have been telling you this before, but for me, feelings, and you know, I'm a mindfulness instructor, so that I've been learning a lot about this sure. through this practicing, but to registrate your emotion and then be curious about what are my needs? <laughs> why why do I feel this way? Uh, what are the signals? Um, why is this important? Um, that can help me with my self-regulations, self-regulation. Yeah, I think what you said was curious. I think the curious mindset is to understand, it's to search for the explanation why you're feeling or thinking a certain way. You know, it's too easy for us to ask ourselves, why am I feeling this? Why am I thinking like this? You know, this self-judgment where we have to justify a certain emotion. And mm -hmm. I think if someone takes the curiosity mindset, and that could be as easily as shifting as shifting on how we ask in question. Because if I ask myself, why am I feeling this way? Well, yeah. then I have to justify that. But if I shift it to, as again, self-awareness of what I'm asking, specifically asking myself, what is the reason I'm feeling this way? What is yeah. the reason I've assigned this meaning to this situation? You know, there's a difference because when I feel that I have to justify my actions or my thoughts or emotions to myself or to anyone else, that puts me on defensive mode. That fires off completely different networks in my brain. But if I can explain myself, if I come from a place of curiosity, yeah. well, then that makes me in a place where I can reflect. So I, I just wanted to pick up on that word because I really like that. To be curious is part of self-regulation. Yeah. And also, I like to be, I have a Norwegian word that is called nishedi uh, tilstedeværelse. And if I'm going to change uh, to, to translate that, translate that in English, it is more like a curious present, you know, yeah. to be present in a curious way. And that is something I really like <laughs> to be curious, but also be present. What's happening? What's happening? Um, because I think, I think that is a superpower. If you can put yourself, if you can manage moments and be present with your own yeah. thinking and emotions, like what's going on inside and not get so trapped up in the outside, yeah. man, that's a superpower. <laughs> I mean, that, that gives you an advantage performance wise over a lot of people on the field. Well, I'm I'm training and I'm failing and you know but uh, <laughs> but uh, I think yeah. I'm trying to meet myself with compassion on that level uh, and I mm. try to teach other as well to do the same uh, and and one good example is that I have a friend who texted me some days ago yeah and he uh, he was really cool because he was he was telling he he was telling me something on the edge and he didn't see my language. I was laughing and I was thinking, I'm so glad I have this friend in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was busy, so I just sent him a thumbs up, you know. Mm -hmm. And after 20 minutes, he sent me a new uh, message. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I'm sorry. Now you think I'm a fool. And, and, and that is a good example for his uh, chatter inside or what he's been thinking about himself after he sent that to me. So I don't think we should be, uh, well, I think we should be aware that all of our 
we are all thinking like that. So it's so important to tell people their strength, um, how you make me feel. I, I like it when you do that. You make me laugh. You make me safe. It's so important because we need that mirror. We need that mirror that it's okay to be yourself, even though the text was a little bit on edge. I loved it, you know, but he was starting to punish himself inside. And that's a good example. Yeah, I think it's it's also important caveat, you know, vulnerability is uh, a strength, but it's being vulnerable in with those that you trust and that you respect, like being vulnerable across the board. That's that's a dangerous place to go. But with those that you trust and respect, like your friend, you know, then by telling him what you were thinking, because he can't read the 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 meaning in between the lines of a text or a thumbs up. Right. But when you say that, that can shift his narrative, right? Yeah. Because he's thinking, oh, he just got a thumbs up. I wonder what that triggered in Haga. Yeah. <laughs> right? And he's like, oh, right, I'm sorry. I'm just respectful of your time, Haga. I was just wondering, as someone deeply committed to mental well-being and uh, peak performance, yeah. uh, what trends or developments do you see sort of shaping the future of, of, your, of this field that you're in? Well, I think um, my belief. I have to. I have to more talk about what I believe is sure. coming to be important in the next year. I I do really believe that we have to learn the difference between uh, a result modus or focus or a performance uh, focus because everybody, everybody, even my mother who don't work anymore, can. Uh, be the best version of herself by focus on uh, how can I be a better mom, a better wife. You know, it, it's it's well-being to know that I have control over what my life is uh, is about. And in business, I think we we should talk about performance. It's important because some businesses will not survive if we don't have the focus on performance. I think what is happening in the future, it will become more and more important that what we do is sustainable. It has to be sustainable on both on the individuals, but also in the businesses or the teams. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm fo- focused on now. I want to work with clients that want to be good, but in a sustainable way. So I think that's really important. Well, Hege, I really appreciate your time today. You've shared so much knowledge and you're so passionate about it. I think you're, if anyone's looking for an external coach, you know, reach out to Hege. <laughs> no, you, ha- you have a certain, you have a, a vibrancy, a passion. You, 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 I can see it just through your, your body language, you know, through this Zoom call, how, how dedicated you are. And it's, always great to have an external sparring partner such as that when you see they they're they just they live and breathe their philosophies so thank thank, you so much yeah well (laughs) thank you thank you for spending some time with me today i really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your knowledge thank you so much jason it was really nice for me to be here talk to you As Haggis stated, visualization is a powerful tool and its importance cannot be overstated. It helps us tackle fear head on by connecting with our senses and training our brain to recognize that we've faced similar situations in the past and can't successfully deal with them. 
This process not only builds our confidence, but it also equips us to handle various challenges and stressors effectively. When it comes to athletes, the quality of their performance can sometimes become intertwined with their self-worth. However, it's crucial to understand that performing at our best doesn't mean being at our peak at all times, something that's just simply not possible. The key to focus on what we can control while acknowledging that certain elements are beyond our grasp. To bridge the gap between the knowing and the doing, self-awareness plays a pivotal role. We need to understand how our actions affect not only ourselves, but those around us. It's about recognizing our relationship with ourselves and how it extends to our interactions with others. You know, embracing a mindset of curiosity helps us delve deeper into our emotions, understanding why we feel a certain will rather than justifying those feelings. In a nutshell, Hege Breke offers invaluable insights that can be applied to the game of life. Her advice helps us to optimize ourselves, enhance our self-awareness, and to navigate the challenges we encounter along the way. In essence, it's about equipping ourselves with the tools to thrive and succeed in the diverse arenas of life. Well, folks, I hope you pulled a lot from that conversation as much as I did. And to you, Hega, a personal, deep, and appreciative thank you for your time and your generosity of sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. And for any of you listeners out there wanting to reach out to Hege, I will leave all her contact information in the show notes. You know, folks, resilience, equanimity, well-being, these are not things that are just given to us. We have to go through the crucible. We need to experience life in order to build resilience, to build the muscles of equanimity and to feel a sense of well-being. And we have to earn that right to sit at that table. If you, your team, or your organization are interested in delving deeper into building a more robust and resilient organization mindset, well, give me a shout. Well, anyways, folks, that brings us to a tail end of another episode. Until next week, when we continue this conversation, keep well, keep strong, and we'll speak soon.